Broncos and blue jeans Red dust in the air My heart pounds As the crowd cheers Alright, what are you doing? It better be something good Alright, don't be sitting around feeling sorry for yourself Sleeping in a little bit later I don't know what I'm talking about I wanted to sound like your dad for a minute and just be mean. Uh, welcome back. Hope you're hope you're enjoying the holidays. Hope you're getting all ready. Hope your hope your tree is trimmed. That sounds awful. Um, and I hope you're ready to go. Uh, we got a big time show. We got we got Kansas Sarton. Who is Kansas Sarton? You're asking. Well, I'm gonna tell you. All right, Kansas is the creator, the the, the brain, the owner operator of a company called Pack Mule, and they make these awesomely overbuilt, wonderful um, racks that go in the hitch of your vehicle, and it just, you can put all your gear, if you're going out, you're going to the field, you're going hunting, you're going to the beach, you're going out in the woods, and you need to put, you need two two big old coolers on the back you want to put you or you, you kill a giant deer and you don't want to put it in your trunk because you don't have a truck you, you put it in a pack mule um but what i wanted to get to in this episode is just just when when you see a cool thing when you're scrolling on instagram and you see a company and you're like wow that's a good idea well somebody went all in in their life to make that product or that company or that brand happen and especially if they're letting this if they're if they're, if they're not a, an enormous operation with hundreds and hundreds of people and trading stocks on wall street and shares uh their blood sweat and tears are in that product they're supporting their family with that and they took a tremendous risk to make it and um, that's why we like to talk to people that start companies that are that are um, on the path to building something or creating something because there's so much risk and it's scary stuff. It's real deal. You're not just playing games anymore. Uh, you're playing for keeps, and it's a it's a cool cool thing. All right. Um, I hope you enjoy this episode. Take care of each other. Take care of your family. Don't be too hard on each other. Be hard on yourself. Uh, I think Socrates said that. It's an old, uh, um, who are those guys? The Stoics. Stoic, you know, be tolerant of others, be hard on yourself. All right? And uh, thing, you'll, you'll, you'll probably find less opportunities to be offended by what somebody did to you. All right? Struggle well and enjoy this episode. What you know about me? All right, welcome back, or welcome to, if this is your first time, to the Manchild Podcast. Uh, the 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 good characters just keep rolling in for us as people we get the privilege to talk to. And my guest today on the show, uh, Kansas. Make sure I pronounce your last name correctly. Yeah, Sarton. Sarton. Okay, Kansas Sarton is the the creator, the brain, the operator, the marketer, the everything behind 
pack mule. If you haven't uh, heard of it before, you're going to know what it is today. Uh, Kansas, first off, that's a heck of a handle. How did that come about? Kansas. Well, you know, it was just the late 70s, and uh, uh, my parents were listening to the radio, and I'm sure there was some smoke in the air, and uh, the DJ said, hey, that was Kansas with their latest. And my parents were like, yeah. My mom was pregnant at the time, and I guess they were looking for a name, and so it stuck. And, uh, you know, as a, as a child, you know, you can imagine the sorts of where's Toto and all those sorts of things that, that came to pass by uh, uh, kind uh, school kids, et cetera. But, you know, as an adult and a professional, it's been good because people remember it. And, uh, and I can say I've, I've never met another Kansas, which kind of surprises me a little bit, I suppose, but, uh, but never have. So Kansas from Texas, that's just, uh, yeah, you can't forget that. That's right. When you introduce somebody from that. You were referred to us. We did like a little thing like, hey, who should we talk to next? And Rick from Haller Brothers was all over this. And he's like, you have to talk talk to Kansas. He started. Uh, how do you know Rick? Well, uh, you know, I, I sort of forcefully introduced myself to Rick, honestly. I, uh, you know, had this company and this idea and um, all these sorts of things and, and thought – um, man, who out there is doing an incredible job that I should learn from? And I'm a big proponent of, you know, learn from other people's mistakes or from the things that they've done well. You know, there's so many people that have gone out, started a company, crafted it well, and um, and succeeded. There's no reason for me to relearn that curve if possible. And so um, I had honestly reached out to him on LinkedIn and was just like, Hey, I'd love to pick your brain at some point if you would ever consider it. And I saw that one of my hunting lease partners was connected to him. And so after I had sent Rick a message, I called uh, my buddy Jackson and was like, Hey, do you know Rick? And he was like, yeah, we went to college together and uh, he's a great dude and blah, 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 all this stuff. And so, um, so yeah, I just, Rick, Rick was, Rick is a super gracious person. Um, and uh, even aside from Jackson, I think was just like, yeah, I'd love to chat with you and see how I can help or whatever. And we had coffee and, um, you know, I picked his brain on some stuff and he's just kind of like, hey, when, if ever you have any questions, you know, give me a shout. I'm happy to happy to chat. And he's uh, so from the very beginning of Pac-Mill, even just saying like, hey, this is this thing I've got that I'm doing and what I'm trying to do. Any pointers and sort of through the growth of pack meal, you know, has been a, has been a sounding board. Yeah. Uh, he was, he was early on, like one of the first guests we ever had, which I made a point to because I'm very similar. It's like, I, I thought what Howard brothers has done is super interesting to me because they made, you know, the outdoor world or whatever you want to call it. The industry is a gross word, but it is one it's, it, <clears throat> they, they made it like, they, they they made it a lot less serious, and that's what I liked yep. about it. Mm-hmm. And they just looked like, listen, we're just taking what comes, and we're having a good time. And and it was somebody I wanted. To, I selfishly had him on as a guest because I wanted to pick his brain about how'd you guys go about doing this. Um, but yeah. Yeah, people people were like raving about you as we have to talk to you. So I'm excited to do that. So tell me the story and you, of this company and uh, what it is you guys are doing now. Well, um, you know, I, uh, 
you know, my time getting into the sporting outdoor world was, uh, sort of delayed. I mean, it was, I was, a I was in late high school and college before I ever really did any, you know, hunting, like for real hunting, other than just like, Hey, you should go sit out in this tree stand and see if anything walks by, like not nothing ever harvested or whatever. And, uh, and that was just like once or twice that there was sort of earlier opportunities, but, um, I always wanted to hunt and fish. You know, I remember, you know, you have these sort of embarrassing self-conscious moments growing up. And I remember going on some youth group ski trip and needing some warm boots and, uh, going to the sporting goods store and buying kind of like an LL bean boot, but it wasn't an LL bean boot. It was just the brand version from the, from the store. And, uh, in retrospect, they were insulated on top, but not on the foot because my feet near about froze off, but they were camouflaged, you know, and people were like, Oh yeah. So those are different kind of outdoor boots, you know? And I said, well, they're like duck boots, you know, I say, Oh, so you wear them when you go duck hunting. And I was like, yeah, of course. You know, I guess <laughs> wear these when I go duck hunting. Cause I wanted to go duck hunting. I just didn't, you know, but you, yeah. you know, sort of embarrassed about these little things that you tell to yourself or others, yep. you know, but anyway, yep. and so, um, it, you know, as soon as I had opportunity to hit the field or the water, I was all in like, yes, please. I'll go whatever it takes, you know, need to leave at three in the morning. I'll be up at two 30, ready to go. And, um, and so, uh, sort of my, uh, not official, but sort of my uh, semi-adopted father, uh, Charlie Parker, who's my best friend's dad. He really just took me in underneath his wing and was showing me the ropes, just instilling in me all the knowledge that he had of the outdoors and his love and passion. And, and, um, so then as you know, I started taking it on myself, I have a dog and a cooler and all these things and I'm trying to figure out how to manage it all. And I'm really OCD about stuff that doesn't work right. So like go back to those, crappy boots realizing that they weren't insulated on the bottom that was stupid and my feet were freezing cold and i was pretty miserable although i thought i had bought something that was supposed to make it all all good and um then a similar story about some waiters my first duck hunt with charlie i bought some pvc waiters freezing cold and miserable because i'd created a sweat they couldn't breathe i got all that moisture on me oh, it can't yeah. wick away and i and all i could think about is i just want to be in a hot shower and drinking some hot coffee right now, not out here hunting. And I'm like, how stupid is that that we waste our time on all this energy and effort to go do something. And then we're miserable because we buy some cheap crappy gear yeah. and really the most valuable thing we have. And of course it takes a long time to learn this in life is time, right? That's our most valuable thing. And so even though shelling out dollars is kind of a different game, um, Anyway, so I learned through that process of coming in at an older age into the sporting world and buying cheap gear that I'm OCD. I don't have the patience or the brain power to, to deal with crappy gear and stuff that doesn't function right. Like if it takes four steps to do something, I might use it a couple times and then I found that I would never use it again. You know, it's just too cumbersome. And so, um, you know, I'd have a dog and a cooler and I would, um, go out to the field. And so you can just picture the back of a suburban, you raise the lift gate, you've got a dog kennel on the left. You got a cooler on the right on top of your cooler is probably your duffel bag. And then behind the cooler further back towards the, you know, seats and stuff is probably your hunting bag with your shells and your 
calls and boots and whatever else is back there. So you get to the field, you end up crawling over the top of your cooler to get to all your stuff. And it, it just, it wasn't, it, it wasn't real organic. It was real cumbersome. And, um, and so trying to figure out like, how do I, how do I make this easier? And so the really, the shorter version of, you know, how pack meal came to be is I was just trying to figure out a better way to load all my gear and access it all. And, um, and was chasing some redfish one day and, you know, had my hand on the grab rail of the windshield, sort of drinking a beer on the way back in and was like, that's it. This is the way to do it. And, and it had been on my mind for a couple of weeks on, you know, how do you make this better contraption? And, um, really figured somebody had already done it, couldn't find any. So I just designed it the way that I wanted it. And, you know, this was golly eight, maybe eight or nine years ago now at this point. And so Yeti was kind of new and people were still, they, it, it wasn't a, like it was gaining in popularity, but there was still kind of like a really a $350 cooler. Right, yeah. And, um, but I had, I had put one on the front of my boat and, um, and really liked it. And I bought a smaller one, you know, for the, the back end of the boat and I thought, man, these coolers would be great. You could, strap them down on the back of the, of the pack mule. Of course it wasn't a pack mule back then. And, um, you know, you can secure them underneath the lid. You have instant access to the contents. They're super heavy duty. You know, you can clean fish and clean birds. You use it as a, like as a tailgate and a bar top. And, you know, it becomes a real utilitarian, uh, feature kind of hanging off the back of your SUV. And so, um, uh, I laid it out where I could fit 265 side by side across the back of any SUV and still raise the lift gate and my dog could jump out. And then next to the kennel, I'd be able to have, you know, guns and shells or whatever other sporting equipment or kids stuff or whatever, whatever it is, you know? And, um, and immediately people were like, where'd you get that? How'd you do that? You know, the very first time I took it on, everybody's doing that yard sale, digging for all their stuff. We're in this dove field and I, hit the button hatch opens up. I open the kennel. My dog jumps out. I grab a beer, slide my shotgun out. I'm like, Hey guys, let's hunt. You know? And everybody's like, how did you do that? Yeah. And, uh, and you know, I really believe that the, the best kind of gear is the kind that you forget about, you know, like if you're not thinking about it, it's because it's performing correctly. You know, it's like the squeaky wheel gets the grease, yeah. gets the most attention. And, um, if you're not thinking about it, then it's really doing a great job of supporting you. It's so integrated in what you're doing that you're focused on that experience. And that was my big thing was on that duck hunt or on that ski trip, I wasn't enjoying those moments because I was so miserable. And, um, and it really started to resonate as I had kids that I would, I would was leaving my family for a weekend and I'd, you know, spent money to go to this place. And if the gear wasn't supporting me, I wasn't, fully enjoying it you know and so um it just sort of it really started off as a selfish project that other people were saying hey man you like we all want one of these you need to make them and and the first effort was well let's put a name together and kind of you know see if we can make some in in bulk and get the price down on these things to where we can sell them it i mean they're still expensive as they are but you know the first custom one-off uh was significantly more expensive than what we sell them for now and so um, right. i i think it's let's back up to where yeah. uh you know did you 
did you have like a were you always kind of a, 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 a making things were you were you handy did you tinker with things or was this kind mm-hmm. of you always okay so you had that background yeah i just was always messing with stuff um you know i like to know how things work i had an 81 bronco it was my first vehicle when i turned 16 and uh i paid 2800 bucks for it and uh, it broke down like every other week i mean i carried a whole tool chest in the back end i carried a starter in the back end of it you know, <laughs> I had a Chilton's manual and, uh, and, you know, I single parent household. My mom was disabled when I was in high school. And so, um, Oh man, what, 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 was, what was going on there? Uh, she had a neurological disease, uh, uh, called an essential tremor. They thought it was MS when I was really young. And then some more neurological studies realized that it was, it's officially called an essential tremor and it's a, the synapses in her brain just didn't connect. And so her hands shook real bad in her head and, you know, it was hard for her to cook or, yeah. And I had a a sister that's uh, younger by three years. Okay. So you're, it's just you and her and you got it and and you're little, so you're the man of the house. And where did this kind of like itch for hunting and fishing come from? Um, I, I don't know just out of my stomach, you know, just like this, this thing that stirred inside of me that wanted to be outside. And, um, you know, I knew that my, uh, grandfather on my dad's side, um, hunted, you know, I'd done a little bit of that when my, my folks separated when I was five, my dad, uh, moved to central Texas. And there was a year or two in there that I was able to kind of go hunting when I was you know, five and six. And I remember being down there with my grandfather and, you know, shooting a BB gun and whatever. And then my dad moved to new England and I'd only see him during the summertime. And, uh, so just didn't have that opportunity. And, um, uh, and I think being around other kids that would talk about, yeah, I went hunting with my dad and, you know, just longing for that. Um, you know, I think, I think as people say that certain things are, are, you know, some, people are born a certain way there's a part of me that feels like it was just always in me like i just i always wanted to be outside and exploring and learning and you know sort of my next i'd really love to learn more about the plants and animals and bugs and all that stuff more so than i do know like i'd love to walk through a field and know that that's you know blue stem grass and that's a whatever type of a cactus and that's a loblolly and that bug over there so whatever it's just interesting to me like how the ecosystem works yeah i always think that people and i'm always drawn to people that like for lack of they they have no business doing what they're doing because they didn't wake up and it was just set up for them because their dad did it or yeah you you just kind of inherit it or it falls into your lap and that's what you do now like guys it, it takes a certain audacity to think that you're not disqualified from an experience or and i i imagine because i i'm very similar i grew up with a single mother and my dad passed away when i was very young and we i had a little sister who's three years younger than me and and it was almost like if you're going to know about something or experience something you just and my mom was very encouraging to do that it's just you just jump in and who cares Mm -hmm. what what anybody's opinion is about it 
And so yeah. it seems like you got a little bit of that same strain where it's like, I, I don't care to own a, I don't have to get a new car that makes sure it's dependable. I want something cool. I want an 81 Bronco. And if it breaks down, yeah. I'll figure it out. Yeah. Well, some of it was the financial reasoning behind it too. It was like 2,800 bucks is about all I had. I wanted a Bronco, you know, and when I found it, I paid 2,800 bucks probably because it was a piece of junk that was going to break down all the time, you know, but like I couldn't afford the mechanic, but man, I had this great mechanic down the street who, who, uh, we stayed in that neighborhood most of my life until recently. And his name is Joe, Joe's auto on still link. If Joe happens to be listening, but, uh, you know, from 16 until I'm 40 now, you know, occasionally I'd just go over there and be like, Joe, this is what's going on. Uh, any ideas? And he'd tell me how to go over there and fix it or what to check, you know, just realizing like, Hey, here's this kid with a single mom. He can't afford to pay me to fix his car, but I'm going to help him out. And just so many great people in the world that, you know, did that for me. And, and, and even, you know, even my aunt, my mom's sister, she was pretty handy. And, um, you know, she'd, have me come over to the house and, you know, do basic stuff like mower yard every other week for 10 bucks using her lawnmower or, you know, pull weeds or move stuff around. And, you know, but she'd also have me paint closets and fix doors. And, you know, we loved to go to the Sears hardware store and go pick out a new tool to go do some project. That was like the most fun thing ever. And we'd take her old station wagon over there, you know, and we'd get so excited about the tool, the tool department. <laughs> and, uh, and uh it's still fun she's coming up for thanksgiving and um you know she she had a a 50 percent hand in raising me with my mom you know because my mom would, would work and we'd go over to my aunt's house after school most of the time and and uh she just gave me you know challenge and opportunity and raised me and uh, and uh and so she's going to come up and we built some some cabinets here and we're we got to put hardware on them and my wife and i haven't figured out which hardware yet but my aunt's like you better pick it out because we're putting them putting that hardware on when i get there <laughs> yeah so so just just kind of that like hey it's doable like i i kind of believe with all things that if somebody out there can do it i should be able to do it you mm-hmm. know and in the, in the old days it was a chilton's manual you know and it might take a lot longer to do it the first time but the second time it's always a lot easier and i mean i remember changing the brakes on my on that bronco taking the rotors down and getting them turned and i bought i had to buy this tool to unscrew the four-wheel drive hub off of it to get the rotor off and i remember the tool cost me 52 dollars, and that was in 96 and that was a lot of dang money for a 16 year old and uh, i held on to that tool until i moved six months ago just because you never know and I paid $52 for it. <laughs> and I finally just gave it away. I was like, well, I used it 25 years ago. Probably time somebody else has a hand at it. Yeah. Well, I think it's, I, there's something, uh, do you think it's a, is this a, is this a modern human, modern man problem where it's almost, it's not, it's not our, our knee-jerk reaction to just go figure it out ourselves. And mm-hmm. all other time in history, you didn't have a choice. Maybe I already right. answered my question is the reason we don't do those things anymore is because we have a choice. If, That's if right. You call somebody. But you miss 100% agree. 100% agree. And I think that there's a disparity between, you know, living in a big city where, where you know, what my – bringing and the people that I kind of surrounded myself with, 
you know, their parents were generally successful and hardworking. And, um, so they paid people to do a lot of stuff or they were so busy, they couldn't get out there and do it. And sometimes they knew how to do the stuff that they were too busy, you know, but, but I definitely agree. And I think it even speaks into the outdoors, you know, kids don't know where food comes from and, and hunting is, can be looked down upon. And I think there's a rejuvenation of it as people started considering where, you know, like what's in my meat is field to table movement and mm-hmm. people that were anti hunting for a long time have turned to it. And I'd love to see that. I think modern huntsman, the magazine has done a good job of helping bring that voice oh, yeah. to the discussion. And, um, and, but yeah, I totally agree. There's people be like, Oh man, you're, you're such a man's man. And I'm like, what does that even mean? Yeah. Yeah. Beca- because I'm fixing something like, yeah. what does that, what does that mean? You just, you just go do it. You can figure it out. It's the, nothing is really hard, but people allow themselves to be intimidated by a lot of things because you don't know. Yeah. And, um, yeah. and you know, I, I, I had this, this one short thought I was hunting in Colorado a few weeks ago and I was reading some Teddy Roosevelt, who is my, like my favorite person, just yeah. historical, just an incredible person in all the things that he did and his humility, but his confidence and, his sense of adventure and he would, and I told my kids this, that get geared up. We're going to go do this. He would have his kids do this like a to B uh, path and he would go with them at first, but it's, he'd say, okay, we're going to go to this spot on the property uh, from where we stand right now. And if there was a pond in between them, it didn't matter what clothes they were wearing. They had to swim across the pond and climb up the muddy bank on the other side. They had to overcome the fear of what's in the pond if there was, uh, you know, like a, a rock wall or something, they had to climb over the wall. And it, and it was just about, oh, like realizing that it's okay to be outside and be in these things. And although there are always obstacles in life, which is, which is true, you know, success in life is about your ability to overcome obstacles and, and allow your brain to process through it and not get overwhelmed by it and kind of approach it with reason and calm and uh and so i think that uh, i'm excited to do that with my kids but i think that even just with bugs you know you just i see so many people where a honeybee lands on somebody and everybody's running around and what i'm like hey it's it's not landing on you to sting you like it's probably going to rest or it you know it's checking out to see if you got some pollen maybe you thought you were a flower for a second but he's gonna fly off like and if he stings you he's dead so it better be really worth yeah. it to him <laughs> to do yeah. it kill himself to seeing you yeah you're so right i think it's cool that um because sometimes i'm like am i just a sicko because like i thoroughly i I mean i I enjoy it but i shouldn't maybe that's a sick word to say but like i totally believe in making especially my son who's turning eight in a couple weeks is to make him uncomfortable because it's the most important thing that i can do for him that's right. And I think that other than, you know, tell him who is who is his God is and that we love him. It's number three is seriously for my my responsibility yeah. on this planet is to make him feel OK and that it's not a bad thing if he's uncomfortable. And I don't know. Like sometimes I, I know I get weird looks from parents or my wife's friends if they're over and they see us interact and i'm just like no you're fine just keep it's not like i'm not trying to be the 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 baseball dad who's screaming at his kid in the stands but it's like listen 
you know, we're we're really debilitatingly soft on kids and we're just creating monsters that yeah or, or people that can't do anything for themselves and there's, Agreed. there's there's no bigger form of hatred than to do something like that and Agreed. and i think it's cool that you understand how important that is for your kids yeah yeah i mean um completely being the more uncomfortable you are it, in these various moments the more comfortable you will be in your body later on with who you are and what you can do. And, uh, that confidence is huge. I didn't have any confidence really until I was grown and, and, and married and had, and had like worked my butt off and grown throughout a, a few different careers and was like, Hey, I actually am pretty good at some stuff. Like I, I'm How'd like, you come I'm to that realization. Just, uh, you know, accomplishments through work, you know, that was the thing that, you know, I, I remember thinking, I don't, you know, there was at least one year we were on food stamps at one point. I mean, my mom was like, we were kind of poverty level. And I think my aunt definitely helped a lot. She, she bought half of, we moved every year. It's like the rent would go up or they would sell the house. My mom tried to keep us in a good neighborhood. So we go to a good school. And my aunt saw us moving like every year and eventually, you know, paid it down half on a house so we could just stop moving. And, um, so there was definitely some help there, but, um, we just didn't have money. You know, it was like, you got one pair of shoes for the whole year and take care of them and don't wear them out. And I, I just, I remember thinking I'm, I'm young. I'm, you know, I'm in construction. That's just what I sort of fell into. I really love construction. I still love it. I, I get jazzed up about it. We just renovated a house and I lived on the, on a mattress on the floor, you know, while we went through the, the process and my family stayed at my in-laws and, uh, and people were like, man, you're just living on the floor and like taking a shower under the water hose outside. And I was like, I love it. I love, it. I love the dust. I love, I love that we've ripped up the whole floor and all the pipes are exposed and it looks like total chaos because I can see the end, you know, like I just, any event and um uh i'm not sure where i was going with all that but uh oh but we so the the working hard so you know um i did some remodeling at first and then i went and worked for a company built houses then i went and worked for a big international company doing commercial construction work and just always raising my hand and always putting in you know the extra effort to make sure it was done right i i i hated you know, to miss an objective. I hated like to disappoint somebody. I wanted to, uh, I wanted to win and I'm not competitive in a sporting nature necessarily, but I found that in, in working, like I, I wanted to be as great as I could be. Yeah. And it really wasn't in the beginning. I even remember thinking like, why are y'all going to work so hard for bonuses? Like we're going to make 45,000 bucks. That's amazing. You know, I mean, I lived on yeah. nothing. I was yeah. thinking like, shit, I'm Bro. making twice as much. Yeah. This is crazy money. And, uh, and it was nice getting the bonuses, but it was really just a drive inside of me that I wanted to, I wanted to be good. And I was curious about work. I wanted to know like, where does work come from? And, how do we do it better and how do we make the customers more happy and all those sorts of things. And so when I, even when I went to the uh, commercial construction firm, I was just constantly raising my hand like, Oh, I, I, I'd like to learn more about that. Let me do that also. 
to where, you know, I was doing four different job titles at the same time, just kind of semi burying myself when you look back at it. But I just, I, I think it was at that point where I realized I didn't study construction in school, but I was, I was highly looked upon at the companies that I worked for. And I was like, Hey, I actually can do stuff. Like I, like I'm valuable to a company because I get stuff done and I, and I, it, I don't shirk hard work. And in fact, I sort of embrace like extra work because I, I work better under pressure and lots of, lots of complicated things going on at the same time. Do you kind and, of back, and, and, do you ever purposely back yourself into a corner so that you, you, you like mm-hmm. know you have to come through like mm-hmm. almost like put yourself like overextend yourself and then yeah. like I'm not sure if that's going to work out but it's almost thrilling. You know what I'm talking about? I, I I find that my brain processes better when I do that. And uh and I don't really understand why but but yeah, I'll I'll It's like you raise the stakes. It's not yeah. it's got to happen. You know, I remember that's Angela right. Duckworth she's like if there's a plan B, you'll you'll go to it. Yeah. You know? But if there's plan mm-hmm. A, and that's all you got. You're going to, you're going to figure out how to make that work. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you just, you gotta, you gotta just put your head down and grind it out. And, and I, you know, I wonder in our conversation we're having, are the, are the people that as we're, as we're talking about, like people don't really go do things anymore. They're, you know, is it, uh, is it there? inability to you know go knock out something that's that would be intimidating to other people because people tell me and i'm still like i still don't really know what i'm doing right i mean like i i'm doing what i what i I believe in um but people like it's amazing you're an entrepreneur and you do stuff i don't care to hear about the word entrepreneur that doesn't that doesn't get me excited about anything i'm like look, this thing has to work or my family doesn't eat. My kids definitely don't go to college, you know? Uh, and so, so I have a hard time too. I think celebrating wins, you know, I can, I can get a win and like, you know, I have customers reach out. That for me is a win. When, when they send me an email or give us a call and tell us like, I just love this product. It's so awesome. Like, thank you for making a great product. We've, we've been hoping one would come out for a long time. And of course I'm thinking, thank you for buying it, you know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, but, but I do celebrate those wins. And I remember turning around yesterday and I was like, Hey, y'all listen to this email from this customer. And he's like, man, this thing worked great in the field and blah, blah. And, uh, and those I get excited about, but then it's like, okay, nose back down to the grindstone. How do we let more people know that we exist? And for me, that's my challenge today is like, how do we let more people know we exist without, right spending a fortune trying to do it, not knowing if the fortune's going to really work and we don't have a fortune to spend. So that's the other problem. Yeah. Where, where did now were you, what was the point in time when you're like, all right, this is, I'm going all in. I'm, I'm leaving my gig for this or have you, or do you still do something else or, or is this, this is it? Yeah. I, uh, um, I was running a, uh, interior construction company for somebody else um and and the the, there was a downturn in 16 and so there's a little bit extra time and like we just couldn't call and work nobody was buying anything 
And so, um, uh, I always had projects like side projects of all sorts of stuff. I mean, I've, I've bought boats and fixed them up and sold them. And I've, uh, you know, built playhouses in the back. There's always like some extra thing I had to do, you know, and I'd kind of gone through all those things. And, and, and so I was like, I really want to get this, see if I can get this pack meal thing going. And, uh, so, but I mean, I didn't want to go out and raise money or, you know, all that stuff. I just wanted to put my own money into it and see if I could make it happen and try to do it as cost effective as possible. And I figured if I just keep working, I can just self fund this thing and get it to where it needs to go. And so, um, so yeah, for like three years, I was running a construction company and trying to grow pack mule at the same time. And so I would like leave a meeting at three o'clock in Austin that I drove to and I would fly to Florida where I was manufacturing in the beginning and I'd be there all weekend, like making sure stuff was right. And then I'd fly back home and, you know, land at whatever time Sunday morning and then be back in the office at eight o'clock the next day and just like killing myself crazy hours or like going to trade shows and just grinding, you know, and, and it's hard. And, and I think that's, and I tell people like, don't, don't be scared by all that stuff, but know that like, if you really want it, you're going to have to go through some of that. Yeah. And, uh, come to terms with, this is going to be awful. And then when you somehow, when it comes to, you're okay with that. It's not as awful. It's like a phenomenon that takes place. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and so I did that for, I guess three years. And then, uh, last September I was like, uh, well, I guess that would have been 19 with COVID my, my brain and dates process slower now, but, uh, so that, so that would have been in 19, basically at the end of 2018, we, we launched February of 17. So when we had product for sale and it was kind of like, let's make it available and whatever. And, and by the end of 17, it was like, all right, we've got the sway back, uh, which is our Jeep model. And I'm taking pictures and we're doing some trade shows and, and we're getting crazy feedback from the customers we're not selling a lot of product but people are super excited i'm like man we really got to do this and so spent more money did a real tiny digital advertising starting in 2018 and through the period of 2018 was like all right i gotta figure this thing out like this like i can i got a whole roadmap of things that i want to do with it and where i want to go with it how do i do that and then um and then work through a small capital raise uh in in 19 and and with the focus on pack mule is never going to become what it can become without me being full-time focused on it but i had all my life savings and everything into this business so i had nothing to fall back on and and we still needed you know marketing money and like how do we develop these new products and all those sorts of things so so um yeah since september of last year we're just over a year now that i've been doing it full-time and you know, managing through COVID and those sorts of things, you know, I guess I would tell, I would tell people two things. If, if they're of interest, uh, the listeners that are out there is that, um, just worry about the first step. Like don't get overwhelmed by the whole picture. Just be like, Hey, if you have an idea or something you want to do, just figure out what needs, what it's going to take to do that 
find a designer, find a manufacturer, figure out what it's going to cost. Just go through those processes. Don't worry about patents and brands and all that stuff at first. That you, that's a wasted time and effort. You got to figure out the product and the thing has to be right first, you know, and, and, uh, and then just take it one step at a time, you know, just see, see what it is. Keep uncovering that, that present or whatever you want to call it. Just keep opening it up until you see what the whole picture is. And then when you, when you, when you really understand it, then you just got to go for it. And, uh, and, uh, what was the other thing I was going to say? There's something else out there. Um, well, well, it might come back to me. When you, when you kind of, you know, you took the final tent stake out of the ground and this thing is, it's, it's flying. Like you're untethered. There's no safety yeah. net. Like, Oh yeah. What's, yeah. what's the, what's the feeling? Is your wife looking yeah. at you like, are you sure? Is it, or is everybody? Yep, for sure. <laughs> yeah. No, everybody thinks I'm crazy. Everybody thought I was crazy from the first day I said I was going to do it and sell an $800 hitch carrier. You know, and I said, well, look, there's, there's 60 of them on the market that are anywhere from a hundred to $250 and they're all crap right. or they're super heavy. They just don't work right. You know, and you know, the, the reality of the cost of a piece of, of equipment is about how well it works, you know? And, yeah. and so you, 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 the market has said that a hitch hauler should cost, you know, 125 to $250. And so people constantly look at me like, I can't believe this is the most outrageously priced hitch carrier I've ever seen. I'm like, well, how much did you pay for that front replacement bumper? Well, 800 bucks. And, and what does it do for you? Well, it looks cool and it protects me from deer. All right. And so, and so why should that cost? Why can the hitch carrier on the back that's, that's holding stuff and increasing the cargo capacity and gives you the ability to raise your lift gate. It doesn't wobble and it's lightweight. It doesn't rust and all those sorts of things. Why, why is it only supposed to cost 150 to 250 bucks? You know, it's just, right. it's kind of interesting. And so when you, why doesn't it you wobble? Know, like how do you eliminate uh, that? Yeah, we've got a solid block of aluminum into the hitch and then, and then it's machine threaded and we've got a, a patent actually on our connection and, uh, so there's a stainless steel threaded bolt and the way that the uh, chimney or the collar comes off of the lock, it wraps around the pin and connects on the inside to take up some of the, some of the uh, dimension in there. Um, and then the lock, the key faces away from the vehicle, you know, rear facing. So you're not trying to stick a key in through your trailer lights and all that stuff. Mm. Um, and so you tighten it up with a, with a, ratchet and and uh it's locked into your hitch you basically bolted into your hitch is the short story but we just received our official patent from the united states post uh, patent office uh like two weeks ago i mean we knew it was done about a month or so ago but we officially received it in the, in the mail which was awesome to receive because that was a lot of work and um a lot of a lot of messing around and tinkering you know but um yeah, I think I think that the the other thing that I was going to say to to listeners about it is I, I've seen a lot of companies that that try to grow too fast. They want to well, it's like well, I have this thing, so I'm going to go get an office. I'm going to go get a building. I'm going to go spend all this money on all this stuff. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how and, people are doing that. I look around and I'm like, yeah, like I, we'll sell a few T-shirts, and I'm like, yeah, that was the hardest thing in the world. And then yeah. I'm like, how does this guy have a truck with this? 
the thing on the side of it and he's got an offer. What's going on? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Am I doing something and, wrong? No, well, I mean, people over leverage themselves all the time. You look at our economy and the way people spend and live, every it's instant gratification. But but you know, I my learning was I went I managed two different businesses through a recession and a downturn and we had to and and one of them I wasn't making decisions on laying people off, but I was I was in the room hearing them about making decisions, you know, mm-hmm. like, uh, when are, when am I not going to be in this room and y'all are going to be telling me I'm the next guy. And then the second one was, um, in 2016 and, you know, we were, we were making those decisions and it was hard. And I learned, Hey, look, you got to have variable costs as much as possible in your business because stuff changes all the time and you can't control outward influence, whether it's, you know, war, economy, weather, whatever it is. And, and, um, you know, until you absolutely need, uh, the labor and the building and, and the business can afford it, then there's, there's no reason to spend money on it. The money needs to be spent on letting people know you exist. And there's a lot of ways to, I think, I think people have this, I don't, I don't know if it's a, puffed up idea but it's like hey i have this business and i have this office and all this stuff and they're they think that that's what you're supposed to have uh but that's that's not the reality of it you know you you just gotta uh i mean we have a lot of people that help us in the business but they're contract professionals they're the best at what they do you know the guys that take my designs and put it into a cad file and help me think through like how the touch feel function of it is, you know, he worked for lots of companies and now has his own business and that's what he does. And, um, and yeah, at some point we probably have an in-house designer. Uh, but I don't, I don't need somebody in-house full time all the time. And, um, and especially when COVID happened, you know, there was definitely a lot of concern and I was like, man, I'm sure glad we don't have, uh, you know, all this stuff in place that we might've had otherwise. Um, and that was a scary time for sure. You know, people say, Hey, COVID must've been really great for your business. Like, well, you forget that the like it was looked down upon if you were traveling, like if you were going yeah, to a gas exactly. station or yeah. you're when the state parks closed and the national parks closed. So there was a period of time, you know, we sold, I don't know, a dozen, uh, in each of those two months. And I was like, Oh gosh. I mean, I was <laughs> like, what's that? What's happening? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, I mean, you, 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 I guess I don't know much else to say about that, except you just you gotta be, you gotta be as lean as possible all the yeah, time. Lean was the word I was just about to say. It's, it's yeah. people don't like the idea of keeping things simple. We love to complicate it. We love to inflate. We love to mm-hmm. think we're more important than we are. Yeah. Instead of just making yourself look yourself in the mirror every day and be like, what are you, who, what are you doing? This isn't, yeah. you don't need this. You don't need that. You don't, yeah. I, I, I deal with that a lot, especially one time I was, I was going through Instagram and this isn't an indictment on companies or anything like that, but it's like, I counted how many posts I was looking at and it was like one-to-one the ratio of, oh, there's a picture of a guy that's just showing what he's doing, and then there's something trying to be sold to me. And it's yeah, like yeah. everything I look at, I start to try to convince myself, well, I need that, or I deserve mm-hmm. that, or I want that, yeah. or whatever. 
uh, and when you comes down to leanness, it's like it almost aligns with this idea you were talking about. It's an eight hundred dollar trailer hitch, but what you're trying to do is you have to if if unless you have tons and tons of money and you don't think twice about a an, an extra accessory, you make lean decisions. It's I want to spend my time doing this type of stuff, mm-hmm. and I'm you know what I'll probably have to go to. Chili's or Applebee's three times less this month. That's right. And but I'm gonna have this, and I'm gonna take my kid, and we're gonna go hunting, and we're gonna go fishing, and he's gonna remember that for the rest of his life, and so am I. And our gear's not gonna get in the way. That mm-hmm. that's a lean decision, you know. Yeah. And, and I think there's something to be said about that. I agree. I I think I got twofold comment. One is that my wife always says, "Buy once, cry once," and when you buy quality gear, you're not you're not refilling landfill with a bunch of junk that was kind of a secondary thought and it's not quality. Uh, but it allows you to enjoy that experience more. And, um, you know, when, when we have this, the second piece of that is that when we started this company to your point about, do I need that? Or people trying to sell stuff? I I was like, I don't want to just have some other thing that people feel like they need to buy. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would need them to buy it to yeah, allow the company to stay yeah. around, you know, but, but really my, my focus, I'm a big believer in conservation and, and, you know, I hear, I'd hear all the time about, you know, how many redfish the guys used to catch in the late seventies and early eighties on the coast and, you know, all the ducks that used to land on the coast and, you know, just all the wildlife that existed. And it's, it's so much harder to pursue, that game, you know, it's a lot more technical. And so, uh, like what we were saying earlier, kids are on electronics. They're not outside. They're not pushing themselves. And I'm like, okay, why, why do we not do that? Well, because on a Friday, you know, as parents we're exhausted from the work week and the kids are done with school, you know? And so, but we're the ones that have to rally to make a program happen over the weekend and it's tough and it's really easy to be like, yeah, we're just going to hang out and, yep. and do Netflix all weekend. Um, mm-hmm. but when you are able, when you take away the burden and like the hassle of what it is to load up and get out of town, if that can be easy, if that piece is easy. Yeah. It's then the, the going will happen. Part. Once you're there, right. once you're on it, it's there. It's all, it's like the greatest idea you've ever had. But it's, yeah. it's the packing it up. And where's your extra shoes? Where's your dry shorts when we get out of the yep. water? It's a nightmare. Yep. It's a nightmare. Yep. <laughs> yep. And so, um, you know, you just have to, um, you, or you don't have to. This, the, the What I found for myself was that when I would overcome that and just get outside, I would be, I, I wouldn't get as much sleep over the weekend you know, I wasn't just lounging. I was pushing myself, but the experiences and the energy that I brought back from that weekend would carry me for a couple of weeks. You know, I'd just still be high on whatever we did for that, from that weekend. And, and if we can start teaching that to our kids, they're going to want to do it. Also, they're going to see those places. They're going to care about it and they're going to want to protect it. And they're going to want to take their kids and they're going to have new experiences and, and more confidence in themselves. And they're going to, they're going to see the tree and the loblolly and all these different things. And they're going to, not just be like, oh, there's like my, my daughter the other day where, 
this ranch and i was like hey look at that big wolf spider and she's like i'm gonna kill it and i'm like no no that wolf spider's not bothering you he's gonna eat bugs and stuff and she's like trying to chase it with a rock i was like quit really he's look he's fine he needs to live also there's no reason to just kill that bug she's like well i don't like spiders i'm like well he doesn't like humans so just y'all walk away <laughs> and but right. but kid but otherwise you know there's the cycle of life and you know honeybees are a big thing right now that they're disappearing and it's because people are so afraid of honeybees maybe it's part of it i don't know but uh but i believe that if people are out there you know you're just gonna have you're gonna have that next generation of kids that want to want to go outside you have to continue that passion and uh and so it, it is a it is a difficulty between you know trying to sell a product but also not trying to sell a product and i'll tell people if they're happy with the hitch carrier they got I don't want you to buy mine. Keep it. Use it. Love it. I'm glad that you love it. But if you wish that there was a better one, we have an option for you. And, you know, back to that lean thing, like we, uh, you know, when I'm last fall, I was on the road six or eight weeks, you know, just driving all over the place, calling on dealers and going to trade shows and all that stuff. And like literally sleeping in the backseat of my truck at rest stops and, uh, if I was pulling a trailer, I had a cot in the back and I just go get in the trailer and throw the cot open, you know, wipe down with some towelettes and whatever. And from that, uh, sense of like embellishment or, you know, I got to have these things. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm not spending $150 on a hotel to sleep for six hours. That's a waste of money, you know? And it's just kind of my lifestyle. I mean, when you see a lot of our Instagram stuff, it's all authentic. You know, I mean, I've got a slide-in camper now, which is like the Ritz-Carlton for me. Um, but uh, it's just in the bed of my truck, and it's great because I can, you know, I'm, I, I mostly, if I'm not stopping in a truck stop, I'm, I'm at a state park or a national park somewhere sleeping for the night. And I love to find those little county parks anywhere that is unique to the area that I'm staying in. I love to find it and see it and know what it's about. And, um, and so it's, it's kind of fun being on the road. It's really hard for my family and, and coming back and re-engaging the, the operations that are happening here. But, um, but I, but I do love it. And, uh, so you won't, you won't really see pack mule parked at a hotel, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> with, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the irony of you pulled up to a Hilton and you see Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this is outdoor equipment parked yeah. out front. That'd be hilarious. But uh, yeah. it, <laughs> let me ask you this, and then I want to get into like what what your what are your favorite pursuits and how you came about learning them and those sorts of things. But there is a really interesting thing going on in Texas right now. Like just Austin in particular, but just Everywhere I look, I'm like, oh man, that's really, I, I that's a cool new company I just heard about. And then I look it up, and it's from Austin. Or I look it up, mm -hmm. and it's from Texas. I mean, it, it feels like it's exploding with goods and services and products. And it feels like it was the the effort was sort of spearheaded by Yeti, and then it just kind of brought along these other folks. Like, do you feel that, or is that it's? Am I just imagining that? Uh, you know, we're most of us have gotten to know one another and, uh, and, um, a couple guys and I got together and created this Tejas collaborative, which is trying to gather all these brands together. Cause I found that I was, as I was starting and trying to 
you know, figure things out. Like I mentioned when calling Rick, uh, there were some companies that were a year or two ahead of me that I wanted to learn from. And then there were some guys like turtle box audio who was coming up about a year or so behind me. And they were calling me to ask me questions about, you know, what did I do? You know, pros, cons, what should we do? What should we not do? And they're doing a, a jamming job right now yeah, uh, is, on their own. It's really cool. I'm gotta get it. I, it's like every time I have one of these conversations with you guys, I'm like, all right, I got to get, I got to get one of those for the boat. I got to get one of these for the, mm-hmm. you know, my, my wife would love a pack mule like that. <laughs> much yeah. Like, people are like, what do yeah. you want for Christmas? And I'm like, oh, just don't worry about it. It's too big. Of a yeah. I can't ask you for that. So. Yeah. 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 And, Sorry, uh, I didn't mean to interrupt you. no, 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 I love it. And so, um, but just all of us trying to get together and share ideas and thoughts and how do we do these. And I would reach out to like the fire desk guys and ask them questions. You know, they've got that great outdoor cooker and, um, and, and it, it wasn't really until people started pointing it out, you know, I'd be in Florida and people would be like, man, all the, all the, like I was, all these great brands are coming out of Texas. What is it about you guys making all this great gear and all this cool stuff? And I was like, Oh yeah, maybe. And then, uh, you know, I get that from time to time being outside of Texas, why are all these Texas stuff? And I start thinking about like, we really do have some incredible brands and, I've been reading for a long time this book by T.R. Farnbach called A History of Texas and the Texans. And it's, I think a lot of it is, it's it's hard to say because you can't embody all of Texas and, as this mentality, but there's a, there's a go do it mentality in Texas. You know, it's like we're, we, there's a lot of country, there's a lot of rural space. Uh, you know, if you're, if you're out in the wild and, and you've, you've you've got more opportunity to have an idea or to want to improve something by the very nature of sort of how texans came to be i mean we're at against all odds i mean when you think about new england and the east coast had electricity and lights and we were fighting indians and and uh you know full full rural plains and log cabins and you know I mean, that's a lot of that is where the name came from even was just, you think about that wild frontiersman who was in search of freedom and land and wild places and new opportunity. And it was the, the animal, the pack mule that allowed him to get through these mountain ranges and cross these passes and, and travel West and find new frontiers and new opportunities and a new adventure. And, um, and, and that's very true about, you know, the, the, the Texas mentality. And I, I can't say that that's specifically why there's all these great brands, but there is that a little bit of that tenacity that I'm going to go fix this thing and make it better. Yeah. Um, And there, yeah, there's, there's certainly this groundswell of over, over building things or making things better that you're just tired of them breaking. And mm -hmm. yeah, they might cost a lot, but, then it just becomes, you know, like people made fun of me when I bought a Yeti cooler and it's like my refrigerator in the back of my truck all the time. It's just like, yeah. it's like, it's like the dog. It's like the family dog. Mm-hmm. It's part of the family when mm-hmm. you get these great pieces of equipment. And it, and it, yeah. and it's also, I don't know. It's like, it's like when you, uh, when you work hard all week long and you eat well and clean yeah. and then Saturday night you let yourself get a milkshake. It's like yeah. those, those 
pieces of gear, that's what those are for me. It's like, man, I, I finally learned, I made myself learn enough about deer hunting. Okay. I'm going to make, I'm going to allow myself to go buy this piece of equipment that helps yep. me be better at it, but I don't deserve it just the first couple times I go out. So I, that's right. you know, so that's what I want to talk to you about next. So what, what's your, what's your go-to pursuits? You get some time, you get a weekend, it's in season. What what are you thinking about while you're at work? Well, right now it's all about my kids and trying to get them outdoors. You know, I've got an 11 year old son that just wants to catch and shoot everything. You know, I mean, he's most days, well, I'd say a couple days after school during the week, he rides his bike about a mile over to the river and goes fishing. And I mean, he's learning so much about freshwater fishing that I have no idea about he knows all the baits and all the stuff. And, he gets super fired up about all that stuff. We were awesome. driving out to some land and he was like, look at that Creek. I wonder if there's some panfish in there. You know, he's just like, <laughs> he's yeah. just all about it. Yeah. And, uh, and then my five-year-old daughter loves it too. And I mean, she's just starting to shoot BB guns and do all that stuff now, you know? And, and, uh, and then I've got a 15 year old daughter and a 13 year old daughter that, um, you know, they like to, they like to go on a walk or they like to go maybe do a little bit of camping a little bit, you know? And so you really got to sort of cater the trip to them to where it's not too out of control. Um, yeah, I'll be calling you but, in a few years. Forget the, the teenage daughter thing is uh, a fear of it's mine. A, yeah. Yeah. I got a, I got a four year old little girl. She's the coolest thing in the world, but I'm just like, I feel like at any moment she's going to turn and just be like, that's dumb. And I'll be like, Oh no. What do I do? <laughs> What happens now? Man, I think as long as you're raising them right from being young, you know, it's, I think, I don't know. I've got, like I said, a 15, 13 year old and I'm not, I mean, you get glimpses of attitude or whatever, but it's not, nothing of the horror stories I've heard. So right. well, TBD. Yeah. Yeah. So far. And so, um, but you know, my favorite thing to do is quail hunt and, um, you know, pointing dogs and, walk in a field behind them and you know a cubby flushes and birds are breaking and that's that's my favorite absolute favorite thing to do um i uh you know i as a as a second piece of it i've i've as you kind of mentioned before like oh here's this other thing that i need or that i want or whatever i've i, I fly fished freshwater a little bit when i was in high school i had a rod and um and, and enjoyed it didn't really know what I was doing, but would mess around with it. And all my stuff got stolen out of the back of my Bronco and, um, like all my tackle, everything that I had. And so I kind of quit fishing through college because it just, it took, it had taken me, I don't know, a couple, three or four years to slowly buy all that stuff. And so I just sort of let it go. And, and then I was, I was refusing fly fishing because I had learned just in, maybe college or maybe it was, I think it was after college when I had graduated and was working that, that, uh, Charlie was taking me saltwater fishing. And so I started learning saltwater fishing on my own and taking, you know, I bought a boat and trying to like understand water and currents and all that stuff. And I got to where I could go out with topwaters and touts and, and I could find fish. I knew how to find fish. And so I didn't want to have to learn some new thing and it's a different type of a boat and different tackle and the gears expensive. And so I blew off fly fishing for a long time. And then, uh, finally allowed myself to succumb to the temptation and uh and that's that's pretty fun uh and i i enjoy 
being on a boat with another buddy and polling and telling stories and BSing about stuff and, uh, and seeing fish. And that's, that's a fun time. Yeah. Um, and you say, are you a duck? See, my next big, uh, just make myself miserable and confused and not know what to do is I'm going to embark on learning how to duck hunt. And I have no yeah. idea. My dad, yeah. I'm told, was huge into it, obsessed with it. They'd go up to Canada and they'd go all over the East Coast and up and down the seaboard. But I have no idea how to do it. How did you learn how? Same guy, same mentor? Same guy, yeah. Um, and the guys that he was hunting with, you know, they would they would tell me what they're doing. And, and really, my duck hunting was still uh, not that great. You know, like I still have a hard time identifying a duck on the wing. Uh, but I, but I loved getting up early. I loved all the gear of duck hunting. But then as I got a little bit older and then I had kids, you know, that, that major effort early in the morning and, you know, it was like, man, I'm, I'm just a little bit too tired to keep, like, I'm not that mad at them. And so, so it (laughs) waned a little bit for me because I also, I also didn't really know how to prepare a duck to where I was really enjoying eating them. And so that was kind of, that was, that was coupled in there with like, why am I doing this? Cause I don't really enjoy eating it. But, you know, I got up horribly early. I missed time with my kids. Yeah. What's going on? Yeah. 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 And then I found the, I found Hank Shaw, who's a hunter and a chef and he has a book called duck, duck goose. And it's a, how to prepare and take care of ducks and all about the fats and the fat is where the flavor was and you know, how to do all these things. And I, and I had a renewed, excitement about shooting ducks again and uh and so i have a handful of buddies that are really just really mad at ducks and will drive all over the country to go chase them and so i i team in with those guys on occasion uh to go do their spots and i got rid of my hunting lease last year um just as we were buckling down to focus on pack mule and trying to like cull anything that costs extra money in our family so that um you know we could just focus on growing this business and so now I'm kind of at the whim of who has land again and uh, public land and some of that stuff. Um, but I found that not having a lease has kind of opened me up to travel hunting a little bit more, which I actually like because, you know, I'd be so focused on this only this one spot. I wouldn't really go hunt somewhere else. And I like hunting other places and seeing new land and new territory and how people do stuff. And, and that's that's a big fun time. Where have you been recently? Well, I went... Uh, to Colorado uh to go chase elk and um it's only my second time to go I went three years ago and um I was up there by myself hunting private land right on the border of the national forest and uh what part of Colorado my sister lives out there I was just curious oh yeah outside of Ure southwestern Colorado yeah it's gorgeous and um and it was great and the bulls would bugle all night and I was for sure, man, I was going to, I was going to get an opportunity, but they would, they would only come out after the sun went down and they, I mean, they would come out. I could see them with bone binoculars. Mm-hmm. It was like the minute that shooting time was over, which was about where I was probably 10 minutes later than it needed to be because the sun had gone down behind the mountains. And so it was actually darker than the end of shooting time. And so when I'd put a scope up, I just, I could see horns and I could see mass, but I couldn't, there wasn't enough to be confident in what I was doing. 
and then and then the time and then the clock's ticking you know past you know shooting time officially and and i just you can't do that man you gotta you gotta do it right yes and so um and so i went home uh without an elk uh but i did have a mountain lion come up on this ridge and try to take down a a fawn mule deer which was incredible and it stood there for maybe 10 seconds silhouetted on this ridge and i was just staring at him with my binoculars in awe of this you know apex predator i'm in its territory you know with a rifle all camouflaged and you know trying to be this my own apex predator Mm -hmm. and this guy's like you got nothing man you know you're staring at this guy with just total uh uh, total sort of praise for what what he does and where he lives, and it was it was the coolest experience I've, I've ever had. Did he get it? Uh, no, I thought he did. And what's crazy is that the mom. Uh, so I'm watching through the binos, and uh, the mom was on my side of the fence. The fawns were on the other side of the fence. Mountain lion came up on the other side of the fence, and then I realized I've got mom and one fawn on my side now where's the other and i was like oh that's why i came up and he whacked that muley and it's probably laying on the ground right there you know and he's mm-hmm. about to go to town on it yeah. and then he kind of turns and goes back down the ridge and the mom runs after the mountain lion and jumps the fence you know this is mom power right yeah and uh and i was like oh man what's gonna go down here this is crazy and uh next thing i know uh fawn one is like maybe 30 or 40 feet from me and uh and i'm like oh okay here's this one it's come down the ridge come up the hillside and is is right next to me now and then here comes next thing i know here's the mom and the other fawn i was like oh good they lived and i was like oh wait where's that mountain lion <laughs> then i reach over and grab my rifle you know and stand up and then so then of course all the mule deer see me and they start bouncing off across the field but um but that was a that was a super rad experience and then um and then i flew home for a couple weeks left my truck up there uh there's this great company called titus rentals in denver that uh they have some of our product and they rent out overland like travel vehicles with tents on the top and all that stuff and it's like travis can i leave my truck with you for a couple weeks so i can go home and get caught up at home and work and everything i said yeah sure so i came back and was there recently and uh Stayed in uh, Roosevelt National Forest um, for a couple nights and called on some dealers for a couple days and then made my way back and called a friend who has a lease in the Panhandle in Canadian. I was like, hey, uh, James, are you, I'm going to go to Polidoro on my way home as a halfway point, but if you're in the Panhandle, I'd love to come by and see you. And he's like, yeah, we're here. And so I drove to Canadian and uh, and he put me on a call buck that he needed taken down which was great because i was able to bring some meat home because we're totally out of meat at our house right now and, and hoping to take some down so he's a, it was a fun hunt and uh, then he's got a wire hair griffon that he's that's nine or ten months i guess and he's been training her trying to get her on quail and so we walked about five miles the next morning and and uh just trying to get her on birds and get her you know on the right side of the wind and keep her from busting them and the, you know, she's had some training on pin rays, which is totally different than a wild bird. And, you know, we even, I mean, even James and I stepped on the top of uh, a covey at one point and they all flew out from underneath us. And then I stepped on a single bird just about that flew out between my legs. And, um, 
so those birds will hold good, you know, and so that's a whole different thing for the dog to learn wild birds and how they'll hold and trying to get the scent right and all those sorts of things. So that was, that was a good time. That blows my mind that like, that's one thing that I'm, I like am intimidated that I have no idea how to even start. Like who's the first guy that taught a dog how to do that? And how did he know yeah. to do that with a dog? <laughs> I mean, what's going yeah. on? How did this happen? Yeah, man. Yeah. Uh, man, dogs for the history of, of mankind have been, a service animal, you know, of some way or another. And man realized that a dog can, can do a lot of great things. And, and a lot of it's repetition. And of course these dogs now, most of them, it's just innate, right? It's bred into them. I have an English pointer. Which and, uh, blows my mind. How'd you figure out how to breed something into it? I, I don't know. Yeah. I, don't know. Mm, I think it's, uh, you know, these, these dogs, that's a great question, and I don't understand it. It's the same way that, you know, just any sort of wild animal figure, like how does a bird fly for the first time? You know, they just they just know how to do it. And so I think that it's, it's a little bit similar for these dogs. You know, they're trained, and they hunt, and they, they have a keenness. You know, these certain dogs have a, have a keenness that, that is the reason that they were used for this type of pursuit, right? Like a Labrador loves to swim, uh, loves retrieve. They just love stuff in their mouth and, and, a, and a pointer, you know, I, I don't know the history on it, but I, I suppose that a pointer is, has had a keenness for like an English pointer for being able to run and, and, uh, in its own point, because you even see pointing puppies, they will, they will point a bird feather on the ground as a, as a, you know, two or three month old puppy. And, and you're not you're not holding their legs, showing them how to do that. They just they just do it. And so I suppose it's 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 just a huge lineage of of doing yeah. that is in their genes, and they it's just an eight. It's fascinating. It really is. It is fascinating. You you really got me curious now. Now I'm gonna have to go find some history books on <laughs> on all these breeds and how they were <laughs> how they came about. Yeah. There's, well, that's just like, that's the one thing I kind of marvel at. Like I can, my, my buddy Scott, he's kind of, uh, he's a partner in this and co-creator of Manchild. He, we always talk about like, well, if that guy's doing it, I can figure it out. Cause that, yeah. right? you know, but yeah. when it comes to the dog stuff, I'm just like, I have no yeah. idea where to begin, but then you can there's see a, it. There's great books. If, I mean, if you're interested in getting a dog to do some stuff, uh, uh, Walthers, W O L T H E R S has a whole series of different books, but gun dog is one of them. And, and, uh, it's, it's about positive reinforcement and how to train them from being a puppy and how to just get them to do all these things. And, uh, you know, he's, his books are old. They've been around for a long time, but he's a, he's a, a great read on how to train a dog and like how a dog thinks and all those sorts of things. If you're, if you ever get curious. Yeah. All right, so so what's next on the the pack mule horizon? Or are you not allowed to talk about it? No, no, no. I mean, we're uh, uh, the whole idea, as I mentioned, is like make it easy to load and go. And the reality is, so that people will go more often. If we can inspire people to get outdoors, then we're on the right track. 
And so uh, we've got some products we're getting ready to release. Um, uh, and we've posted some sort of sneak previews on our page and stuff. Um, we've got a light kit, you know, people ask for a light. And so what we found is it just takes a lot longer to develop this stuff than your initial thought because we want it to be bomb proof. We want it to be serviceable. We want it to not fail. Uh, we want it to be right. You know, we don't want to re- release something that's just like, eh, well, they did a great job on the pack mule, but all their accessories are stupid. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, exactly. so the light kit I'm super excited about, uh, and we're just about there and getting ready to release production on that. Um, we've got a step in, uh, which we're going to call the stirrup and then some decking that you'll be able to put some floor down in the pack mule. So that's kind of a development of having a slide in camper and then having a pack mule on the back so I could haul firewood and coolers and, you know, then how do you walk across the pack mule and get into your slide in camper? And so it's turned into a porch, which I'm pretty excited about it and kind of gave a sneak preview to some of the four wheel camper, which is a brand of pop-up camper to that owner's group on Facebook yesterday. And, and, got a lot of great feedback and um you know some people are like looks like i'm gonna you know fall and bust my face trying to walk across that thing and not having a handle and other people are like that that's an incredible idea super excited about it um so those are kind of the next things coming out and then we got a path on you know what other outdoor activities we've got the list and we've got the we've got a lot of sketch design ideas that we've been working through but how do you haul other things on pack mule and you can kind of figure out what other things need to go on the back of a pack mule, but just outdoor sports and stuff that you take with you when you go somewhere. And so, um, just expanding the, those options and then, you know, looking around at, at, at other cargo and, and, and gear hauling stuff. How do you make it easy to organize your stuff? How do you make it easy to take that maybe prepackaged stuff and throw it on the back of your pack mule and, and take off and, um, so uh, it's going to be great. We're excited about it. It's just, you know, a lot of work and time. and and uh, But I love the creative part of it and figuring it out and making it right. And, you know, I find a lot of times that I get stuck on something and I just got to gotta leave it and I got to walk away from it for a while. Right. And I might, I might be on a road trip and my, my, my brains might not even be thinking about it. And I might just... I'm making it up, but maybe I see a fence post or something and it makes me have some idea about whatever. And then all of a sudden I'm like, Oh, that's how I fix that problem. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, yeah. It just kind of comes to you later. You let it yourself. It's weird. Subconsciously yeah. marinate on it or something. Almost. It feels like, yeah. It kind of just comes through. Yeah. I know exactly yeah. what you mean. Well, yeah, for sure. I, I, I think the thing I was most excited to hear about is that, you weren't some trust fund kid that just had a bunch of money and have been messing around with it. Like just the fact <laughs> that you, you really grinded out every single inch of this so far and you still are and, uh, not afraid to, not afraid to fail, not afraid to just get, get your hands dirty and, and get to work with something. It's, um, I can resonate with that, man. It's really cool. Yeah. It's well, really thanks cool. man. It's, it's fun. And, uh, you know, it's just, uh, you just put your nose down and just put one foot in front of the other. And I think that's just the best, the best process to, to get accomplish anything that you want to try to accomplish. And, you know, the, at the end of the day, it's, it's, uh, 
you, you got to make a living to support your family. Um, and it's really hard to balance that with how do you also do something that you love? And right. a lot of people are not fortunate enough to be able to combine the two. And, um, and I've always, I mean, I've always loved construction. So I'll, I've always enjoyed that. And even more so I, and loving what I'm doing now. And, uh, I can't even like the fact that I get to create and produce something and then, and then the validity you get from customers saying, you know, how great it's been or how wonderful and how excited they are. It's, it's super humbling. I can't even, I mean, sometimes I just like, I, I look at where I came from and, and where we're at and what we're doing. And, and if you had, if you had told me even, even five years ago that this is what would be going on in my life, I, I wouldn't have believed you. I'd be like, Oh yeah, that'd be cool. But that's not going to happen. You know? Right. Um, yeah, I know exactly what that means. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so yeah, very humbling and, and kind of a surreal feeling still, you know, I still pinch myself sometimes. I'm like, man, is this really, this is crazy. Like, uh, but it's, it's a big fun time. And I'll tell you that, uh, I've really enjoyed all the people that I've, I've had the opportunity to meet in the, in the industry. And then folks like yourself, just getting to chat, you know, and then other people that just love the outdoors and want to be outside and finding these people that share the same passion that you do. Uh, it's like a, it's like a, makes the world smaller, I guess. You're just yeah. like, man, there's all these incredible people out there and like life is good. And in a, in a world that seems so tumultuous and divided right now, there's so many incredible people that live out there. They just, uh, that's right. They're just quieter, you know, exactly right. Sometimes it, uh, you know, the negativity and the, the ridiculousness and how split we are, it just sells better, but there's yeah. a, there's a lot of good people that if you if you look them in the eye and you have a real conversation, um, they're gonna help you. Uh, you know, That's right. It's, it's, it's a it's a twisted person that can look you right in the eye and just say no. Like, That's I, right. I, but we don't have those real conversations. Hey, I, I really right. appreciate it, man. Uh, this is Absolutely. really cool, and I and I hope people come away with a with a little understanding of of where you guys are coming from and what you're trying to get done. Well, I appreciate it. And thanks for having us on and, uh, such great dialogue and, and, uh, hopefully we can, uh, sit around a campfire and have a beer together at some point, if, uh, past cross and all that works out at some point and, uh, get to shake your hand and, and, yeah, uh, say hello. Great. Yeah. All right. and blue jeans Red dust in the air My heart pounds As the crowd cheers High on your horse It's worth a ride Cause when he kissed me It's the 4th of July But I know how this ends
curtains and spotlights Fade in the sun Cowboys and wild horses Were made to run So let's ride off Into the Texas sky Time spent with you Is worth the goodbye Say